Hi, I'm Michael Depp, editor of TV News Check, and I'm with Brian Weiss with Tegna, and we are Talking TV. Hi, Brian. Good to see you. Michael, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And Brian is the president and the GM of Tegna's Multicast Networks. We're going to be talking about Diginets in just a moment. Uh, and later in the same podcast, I'm going to be with Evan Moore, who is the VP of Commerce Partnerships at NBC Universal. And Evan and I are going to be talking about the NBCU's 121 event for developers that they held earlier this week and the advent of shoppable television and the implications for local TV in that. Um, I want to remind everyone watching that this podcast is also available in most places that you get your audio podcast, so you can listen that way as well. So, Brian, thanks a lot for being here again. And um, we were talking a few weeks ago because Tegna is adding a new Diginet, um, a third one. It, it already has True Crime Network and uh, Quest. And now later this spring, we will see the coming of Twist, which is skewed to women and younger women. The demo is, is what's, what's the age bracket we're targeting here? Well, let's say we're targeting all women. I would say, generally speaking, we are looking for a 25 to 55 audience, generally speaking. Okay, so 25 to 55. And that struck me because when I think about Diginets, I think about going into my grandmother's care home and every set is tuned to one of them somewhere along the way with lots of nostalgia or niche TV. Um, and, and I think about a very much older aging demographic there. So the fact that now not just Tegna, but EW Scripps recently announced um, <clears throat> some, some shifts to its strategy and, and certainly it's, it's very bullish on its Diginets and pulling in this younger demographic. Um, this seems, I don't know if counterintuitive is correct, but it definitely, I mean, obviously you're seeing that there's growth in this demographic with Diginet. So where is that coming from? What are you seeing? What data is suggesting to you that you should be targeting in this direction? Absolutely. And I think a lot of my job is to challenge people's perceptions about over-the-air television, because absolutely, if you would have looked at the data maybe 10 years ago when the digital switchover happened from analog, really the population that was watching over-the-air television was probably borderline elderly, maybe not even borderline. And you still had people using, you know, the, the, the metal rabbit ears and a very clunky experience. Um, a very old audience that was watching black and white television and watching really old movies. But I think that there's been a really big shift that's happened over the last 10 years, but definitely over the last five years, where as more programmers have gotten into the marketplace, have created effectively the proxy of what are cable networks for the over-the-air audience, you've seen just a lot of newcomers coming in. And that may be partially because if you build it, they will come. And it may be partially because folks are ditching the cable bundle or they're just core nevers. They graduate college and never see the need to have a cable subscription. But we're skating where the puck is going with our networks. So we look at all of our Nielsen data. We've noticed over time that the, um, let's call it the, the middle audiences, not necessarily the 18 to 24, 
it's kind of in that 25 to 55 range that we've grown our audience on both True Crime and Quest in that audience range. We do surveys where we poll our audience about what shows they like. We've noticed generally, generally speaking, more um, from that medium, that middle age uh, group coming to us uh, as opposed to the elderly audience. And when we look at other research reports out there, we're noticing that there's a there's a, a quickening of pace in terms of younger audiences coming. So I'll just give you one example. There was a Horowitz research report that came out uh, just at the tail end of 2020. And the Horowitz research report indicated that a couple groups, um, uh, notably uh, black audiences, Hispanic audiences, and specifically 18 to 34 year olds, massive increases among those audiences in, in use of antenna television. Specifically, that 18 to 34 year old group grew from 20% usage to 42% usage. That is you know, a seismic shift that's more than doubling in just one year the number of 18 to 34 year olds using uh, this type of content. Now, I want to clarify one thing. Twist will skew younger. It will not appeal to you know the youngest crowds out there who are probably more so using their smartphones. Maybe they're going to use antenna television to occasionally get breaking news or a sporting event. That's that sort of thing that's live. But we really do think that 25 to 55 year old audience, which is growing on over the air on, on over the air television, and word is getting out that you have so many options at your disposal. We think that's a really nice sweet spot, a place that we can, you know, skate where the puck is going. Um, we think that's going to perform really well for us. So Scripps has created this sort of neologism called self-bundling to uh, describe this phenomenon of, of cord cutters and cord nevers who are taking a small group of um, SVOD subscription services that they're paying for in streaming and pairing that with the experience of of now picking up, uh, acculturating to several Diginet channels that might be in there, or you know, one or two, some some bits and bobs from over the air. Is that a do you, is that a relevant term? Do you think is that a real phenomenon of self bundling that these people maybe, maybe they don't think of themselves that way, but that is in fact their behavior? Yes, I think it's hard to ignore. It's definitely a trend that's happening and growing. I should add that being a company guy as part of Tegna, you know, subscription fees from MVPD partners make up uh, an enormous part of Tegna's revenue and will continue to do so for probably the next decade. So we very much believe that cable is, is you know, a very important part of the ecosystem. It still is the majority of, of where people get uh, their television, especially from Tegna's core product, which is the station group. But yeah, we, we generally think that there is a, a growing group of folks that get enough television from their SVOD, from their AVOD, and from over-the-air antenna. And if you combine it all, if, if you're not a passionate television watcher, you can probably get away with having that as a bundle. Um, and I think that's probably driving in large part a lot of the growth. One part that I would just add to that is, you know, we're seeing, you know, when we report on, when we see reports on the number of people that use an antenna, about 20% of the country uses an antenna as their primary method of getting television. And by the way, that's doubled, doubled since 2015. So it's a really nice growth pattern. But in addition to that, we also have data from Nielsen and from others that jives with it. 
that about 40% of the country has at least one antenna. So that might be in a second bedroom or in a basement, or they may use it to tailgate, whatever they're using it for. We think that's a really good trend for my part of the business because obviously people are becoming just more aware generally that there's a lot of channels that you can get and they can get it for relatively cheap, maybe 15 or $20 for a cheap uh, over-the-air antenna on Amazon or Walmart. Yeah, except those antennas can be awful. I mean, I have one in my house and 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 watching a football game sometimes it's just it's it's pixelating a lot. Now mine is a few years old. Um is is that not an uphill battle somewhat to try to get more? I mean, it's sort of amazing that this many people have antennas when you have to go, it's another accessory you've got to get for your test. You can't just take TV out of the box. So I mean, do you see that? I guess is that momentum continuing to go forward? And and doesn't that kind of defy a little bit of credulity to you? It certainly causes friction. And that's the word I would use, friction. I don't know that it's necessarily an uphill battle because when I think about how many people experience our networks in a given month, for instance, the True Crime Network has more than 6 million people that experience it for some amount of time every single month. And that's 6 million people, or really 6 million households, I should say, that took the time to adjust their antenna, to get it in just the right place, to make sure that um, there's not too much static or vibration that would cause the, the, the picture to pixelate. And so if that many people are getting it, what it really says to me is that people are willing to put in the effort to get this product, right? Michael, to your point, absolutely, there are challenges with over-the-air uh, antennas, especially in markets that have interesting topography, that have lots of trees, lots of mountains, that type of thing is definitely a battle for us, as opposed to really flat uh, areas, especially in the Midwest, we get great coverage there. What we're finding is that consumers are doing a couple things. They're getting educated on where to position their antenna, how to position their antenna, some of the clunky, cumbersome stuff. We're seeing a lot more people report to us that they use an outdoor rooftop antenna, which may not be realistic for everybody. But when you have, if you're somebody that has been a cable consumer or a satellite dish consumer where you already are used to having a device on the outside of your home, it may only cost you, let's call it $150 or $200 to install an over-the-air antenna, you know, in a non-obtrusive place, uh, you know, outside your home. Lots of professionals do it at this point, the same type of people that would install your satellite dish. And that's equivalent to about one month of their cable subscription. From then on, they have no fees and they get all these channels piped into their home for totally free. So we're seeing really good growth there, but it definitely is a friction point. Uh, I would also add that Tegna and a lot of our broadcast partner, you know, our broadcast peers um, are going out of our way to address this problem with signal improvements where we can. We're limited by what the FCC allows in terms of our contours and that sort of thing. But, but I can tell you that engineers at Tegna and I'm fairly confident at the other partners are really working on this idea of optimizing our signal strength so that everyone can do it. Okay. So lastly, the streaming facet of this, um, you, you, I'm wondering, first of all, with the programming um, for Twist that you're going to launch, are you simultaneously acquiring the streaming rights for that? And, and with the two other networks, are you, do you have streaming channels now in place for those? And how important of a front is that for Indigenet? Besides being over the air, how much do you need to plant the flag on streaming as well? Yeah, we, we, we do think it's important. Uh, it is of growing importance, though still a very small part of our overall business, especially revenue-wise. You know, what we do is we have uh, in 
in July of 2020, we rebranded what was the Justice Network to True Crime Network. And roughly at the same time, we launched the True Crime Network streaming app. The idea was to create this brand new brand that was all encompassing on every platform that you'd want to be, uh, that married a lot of what you would see on the True Crime Network with an on-demand experience that you can get on Roku, on Fire, on Apple TV and mobile. That has seen enormous growth since we launched it uh, last summer. Uh, it continues to grow every single month in double digit per month percentage growth. Um, so we're really excited about the trajectory of where it could go. I would note that OTT is the Wild West still, both in terms of the technicals, just making sure that the pipes work properly, but also in terms of revenue optimization, making sure that you're filling what could be an unlimited amount of impressions. And so we're kind of massaging those things, making sure that those are operating correctly. Uh, it is profitable, our, our streaming service right now, and we will look eventually to add streaming complements to both Quest and Twist. We want to make sure that we have the True Crime Network really humming, and it's, and it's pretty close to doing so right now. To answer your question about streaming rights, we typically get them as bolt-ons to what we pay for the linear rights. So we're, we're you know, it's no secret that we're paying um, license fees to our content partners to get the content for, uh, for our on-air product. And for the most part, now bundling in OTT rights as either a throw-in or for a nominal uh, upcharge. Because I think everybody is aware that while OTT may be a part of all of our future, it right now represents really pennies on the dollar versus the larger opportunity that Linear provides. But yes, it is part of our long-term future. And would the goal down the road be having what we see on the streaming apps mirror what's on the television and also having a live, a live stream, a quote unquote live stream? A lot of people, even though of course it's not live, that idea of live, like what's on now? Here's my VOD menu, but what's on now? Even though now may be a manufactured construct there, people like it. They're drawn to that on streaming. Is that, is that a goal to have that in place as well as just the VOD menu? Well, first, Michael, let me just uh, uh, applaud you for that take, because so many of my peers in the industry really believe that video on demand is, you know, the, that the, the ability of choice is what the consumer really wants. And while I do think that Netflix and Hulu and all those services have trained us to believe that, you are correct that the broad majority of people really want to watch television in a linear fashion. And so to your point, we do hope to create a linear streaming complement once we have enough rights to do so. Right now, you know, for the True Crime Network in specific, we probably have OTT rights for about a third, um, roughly about a third of our content uh, that we have on the linear network. And so we can't replicate it in that way. As we go forward, we are including um, OTT rights basically as a mandatory give uh, when we license content so that we can have the option to create linear complements and be able to put them on, you know, whether it's, you know, a Samsung device or Pluto, something like that. That is uh, a goal for us. I would not say it is the near term uh, focus, but it is something that we do hope to do because we agree that that uh, linear, whether it's linear on broadcast or digilinear, as I like to call it, uh, that will be the primary way that our content, which is often wallpaper programming, not necessarily always destination programming, um, is consumed. Okay. All right, Brian. Well, twists coming later this spring. Thanks very much for being here today. Thanks.
Really appreciate it, Michael. So I'm very happy to welcome with me Evan Moore. He is the VP of Commerce Partnerships at NBC Universal. NBC, um, NBCU had an event this week called 121 on Monday. Um, this was the first of its kind of event. Evan, um, can you explain what the what the function, what the purpose of what was of this event? Sure. Uh, so 121 is really a, a first of its kind a developer conference. Uh, where NBC Universal, together with Sky and Comcast, uh, is approaching our partners, both our, our retail and advertising partners, uh, along with our technology partners, uh, and presenting ourselves as, as both a media company, but also a technology company, and, and explaining all of the different capabilities uh, that we have uh, to build together with our partners around both media and technology. Well, so how, how do you see yourselves as a technology company? In what way? So in a lot of different ways, in, within my world as the, the head of commerce partnerships, uh, we have a, a whole suite of integrated commerce capabilities uh, underneath the helm of one platform commerce. It's a, it's a whole technology platform that enables us to actually work together with partners, including retail partners, uh, um, consumer goods brands, and other technology partners to drive shoppable experiences in the context of NBCU content uh, across our entire ecosystem, wherever that content appears, including linear, digital, social, streaming, uh, you know, through content, through ads, uh, and to do that in a way that lets those retail partners uh, put up a storefront in front of our audiences and drive uh, scale and drive commerce at scale. So is this is this out in the marketplace in to any degree right now, or is this all something that's forthcoming? Yeah, so we uh, NBC Universal Checkout is one of our primary uh, products, along with Shoppable TV. Uh, and NBC Universal Checkout is an embeddable uh, universal shopping cart and, and commerce engine that enables us to turn any content experience into a, a natively shoppable experience. And then Shoppable TV is our usage of a Shoppable TV code to drive users from linear programming by scanning a code on their phone into a, a transactable experience. Uh, we've okay. been out with Shoppable TV since 2019 and have been activating uh, through both content and uh, commercials uh, very successfully over the course of the last year and a half. Uh, and then with NBC Universal Checkout, we actually first rolled out uh, to audiences back in August of 2020 with the Sci-Fi Channel doing a, uh, an actual hour-long uh, shoppable TV show on, on Sci-Fi Channel called Sci-Fi After Dark that was really innovative and great. And then we've expanded from there across the rest of the portfolio, uh, going live with about a half dozen different properties in NBC's portfolio in Q4 of 2020 in a partnership with PayPal, where they actually were a key sponsor uh, of our of our holiday gift guide series that we published that were all shoppable and then also a number of uh, integrations in the linear programming uh, with them as well. And this year we're expanding across even more parts of the NBCU portfolio, including our own television station group and bringing our shoppable experiences to other uh, platforms and channels like Peacock and Instagram and Facebook. Okay, so, so what faces the viewer on linear TV at least is a QR code. I mean, that's you hold your phone up to the TV scan that QR code takes you in. Obviously, I imagine linear platforms, it's a hyperlink that's going to, I'm sorry, on a digital platforms rather, it's a link that's going to take you uh, to these experiences. So a few things about this. I mean, obviously this is a new channel for monetization. It's a new way of you know, taking advertising mm -hmm. in a creative, more interactive direction. Um, but how do, as you're integrating this, into programming and commercial, especially on the programming side. Yeah. And especially on the programming linear side, you're watching videos and QR codes are gonna start popping up. How is this not gonna be an irritating experience for a viewer? So a couple of things. The first thing I'll say is that um, 
content has been inspiring commerce for decades, right? For hundreds of years. Uh, uh, since the invention of television, television shows have been inspiring people to go out and discover new products and, and, uh, and new brands. Uh, but it really, until just now, it's been up to the consumer to figure out how to find that item that they're seeing in a show or how to pick up that brand that they've just been exposed to uh, as a result of some content they're consuming. And so what we're really trying to do is really uh, just flatten that conversion funnel and drive that transaction as close to the moment of inspiration as possible. And so far, uh, QR codes and just shoppable TV code in general has proven itself as a, as a fairly non-obtrusive way to programming uh, with really high response rates, especially in the pandemic, as uh, QR codes have become you know, more common in everyday life. Uh, you know, the QR codes are technology that's been around for 20 years, and all of a sudden it's finally having its day. Uh, and the response rates we get from activations via the shoppable TV code are just fantastic without any sort of you know, reported hit to consumer satisfaction with the show that they're watching. I think you know, there's been a lot of um, you know, previous work with, with bugs and lower third graphics uh, to where there, there's a consumer expectation that, that sort of thing is gonna happen. But I'll say, you know, looking forward, we're not just stopping with the shoppable TV code or thinking that's, that's the end of uh, how we can deliver value here. When I look at streaming platforms, especially, I get really excited uh, because there's a burgeoning new user behavior around interactivity with content through streaming. Uh, you know, it's kind of a small thing today, but on any streaming platform, you know that if you pause a scene, you're gonna be able to find out more information about that scene, like the actors that are in that scene or the maybe the location where it was filmed or the music that might be going on. And um, we're gonna be expanding that with our explore feature on Peacock and exposing commerce moments there as well. So if you're watching- Sort of like scene the, the, the x-ray screen that pops that's up. Right. You can, which that's is right. integrated, I think, to maybe IMDB or something on Amazon or where you, yeah. Yeah, you get- And that's super powerful, right? Like it seems small, mm -hmm. but that is interactive television at scale in a way that consumers find value from, right? And how mm -hmm. can we use commerce, not just to drive incremental monetization, but to provide more depth to the content experience where you mm -hmm. can bring into your home the things that you're seeing on your screen and adopt the behaviors and lifestyles uh, that you're aspiring to from the content that you consume. So is it sort of uh, the, the most, so on a streaming iteration, for instance, how this may be looking going forward, would that be, so if I pause, I'm watching a show, I pause mm -hmm. it, a screen kind of comes into view at that point, showing me some, some things about the content itself, maybe about the actors, but then maybe there's a product that's been placed in the background and I get something there. What is that, realistically speaking, next year or so, what do you see that, that looking like? How would that, would it be a screen that's kind of superimposed over and would it have everything in one x-ray view or would it be a layered kind of you switch your view? Yeah, I don't want to get uh, too ahead of the, the Peacock team in terms of speaking to their user interfaces that they're building, but it, you know, it's a really seamless experience where uh, when you've got a scene paused, you can kind of dive deeper and see other elements behind that scene uh, in you know, a really non-obtrusive way to the content itself. You can choose to go into either commerce or to find out more information uh, about the location or the actors. And then from there, there's you know an interactive experience where you can find out more information about that product and then figure out how to purchase it in a really seamless way directly from, from what you're seeing on Peacock there. And it's a great way uh, to discover all sorts of things, whether it's you know the, your favorite jersey from an athlete on Premier League soccer, or if it's a, a piece of furniture that's being featured in a, you know your favorite uh, scripted show on Telemundo. Those are all mm -hmm. things that we can work together with our brand partners and not just integrate them into the content, but actually make it into a moment where users can bring that product home. So for the NBCU stations then, and this is gonna iterate all the way to their level, how so? Both on the programming, if at all, like the local programming side and on the, 
on the commercial side. That's right. So we're, we're partnering with the entire own television station group and bringing the whole suite of integrated commerce capabilities to their 12 uh, NBC local city sites, the 23 uh, Telemundo affiliates uh, in the, the 23 affiliate sites and, uh, and then the, the additional networks as well. And then the seven regional sports networks so that they can activate through both their content, right, by creating uh, shoppable moments in the programming that they produce or in the lifestyle programming that they create. They have great shows like Open House or Torch to the Rescue. Uh, where they're actually, you know, doing home improvement or solving problems for consumers that really organically lend themselves to being shoppable moments as well. And then anytime that there's lifestyle programming, like across the LX network, that's a great opportunity where you can provide uh, informative content, uh, making recommendations about trends or solutions for the home that just organically lend themselves to being shoppable moments as well. And then on top of that, we have a whole suite of advertising products uh, in commercial time or integrations into programming as sponsorships that can then be made not just into a brand marketing opportunity, but one that drives the consumer down that purchase funnel and actually uh, drives a transaction. Uh, and I think you know the important insight for us within the advertising space is that for too long, um, you know, the market has been approached as if there's some channels that are brand marketing and some channels that are, uh, you know, uh, performance marketing and that you really need to go to one channel to address a certain part of the funnel. When the reality is that your audience is at every part of the funnel at any time that you're reaching them, right? And your ad product needs to serve wherever your audience is, wherever that individual member is in their journey of consideration and transaction on that, on that offer. So these new ad products, would they be uh, do you see like a local car dealership or a personal injury attorney having a, an, an inroad here? Absolutely. So, you know, with Shoppable TV, it's not just uh, relegated to retail. Like that's, that's one of the, the primary use cases for sure. But I think that there's other sorts of uh, conversions that you can drive uh, through that sort of a transactional experience. And auto, especially we've actually in the past already worked with uh, some auto advertisers to drive sign up for test drives. Uh, and that works really effectively within a local market, as you can imagine, with dealerships. Uh, and, you know, I think uh, DR, a direct response, is a dirty word, right? But that's really where uh, local um, uh, advertisers have played for so long. And now we're bringing these integrated capabilities where they can really see the response from their uh, audience in real time and see actual uh, measurable conversion from their linear advertising in a way that's uh, really been mostly just, uh, you know, a part of other channels like performance marketing channels. How soon are these sort of these new advertising products going to be available in local markets? We're going to be expanding into some of the local markets as soon as uh, Q2 of this year and then expanding across the rest uh, over the course of Q2 and Q3, hopefully uh, having the entire footprint in place by the time we get into Q4. And what about for the sellers of these? How, what's the complexity like? Uh, you know, it's, this is getting into, you know, they're used to selling spots on TV. Digital was complicated. OTT was like blowing some people's minds. So when you're talking about this yeah. stuff, there's an incredible sophistication, it would seem, and maybe some recalcitrance on the part of some of the sellers. I, so I've got to tell you, um, I've been extremely impressed. I've been communicating and working with uh, the OTS team for almost two years now, almost from the beginning when I joined <clears throat> NBC. Um, and, you know, up until just recently, most of the sellers I've been interacting with are, have been national sellers. And I've been super impressed with the digital savvy of the local selling team. They, I think they actually really understand um, uh, being connected to the KPIs that are more common to digital campaigns from their position of being local sellers than national sellers actually are. So I think they actually have a, a leg up on selling these products into these advertisers or really speaking to these products that drive uh, this direct performance uh, over national advertisers that are much more, you know, selling spots and dots. 
Mm-hmm. Do you think that streaming is is going to be the ideal platform for this? Is that sort of better position than perhaps linear might be? Or I mean, obviously there's more, you'll get that layer of x-ray screen, but, but even other digital products like mobile or, or desktop? I think that um, the, the difference or the, uh, the, the thing that matters is not necessarily whether it's streaming or, or, or linear, it matters if it's a connected or addressable environment or not. If it's right. an interactive television environment that the content's being distributed into. Um, I, I think the jury's still out on what content is actually gonna make the most sense uh, for driving uh, shoppable experiences and whether that content is, is live or streamed or scripted or reality or library, right? There's, there's so many different things that we can, uh, we can try here. And we're just, I think, at the tip of the iceberg of what is going to be a, a massive opportunity for decades to come. Well, it is certainly a brave new world of advertising. No peacock pun intended there, um, <laughs> but uh, we'll see how it plays out. Very interesting. Thank you so much, Evan. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Michael. I appreciate it. Have a great day. Thanks, you too.